This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. Happy New Year 2024. We are back from our holiday break and ready to dive into what the year offers. And it seems that 2024 might have to offer a bit more of the same for the region of Peel. Last year, we interviewed then Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie about her push to dissolve Peel region and give the composite municipalities greater autonomy. Then, Premier Doug Ford agreed to the arrangement and announced a team to examine the process over the next two years. But then things changed. Well, the political landscape did. As many know, a few months later, in November, Mayor Bonnie Crombie changed her job title to that of the Ontario Liberal Party leader. Doug Ford also seemingly changed his mind on Peel Region. Minister of Municipal Affairs Paul Calandra announced that the plan was no longer going forward, citing the claim that taxes will be increased for Peel residents as a result. Even with a record of often reversing course on announcements, this one seemed to be a record for this Ontario government. Picking up the torch, it seemed, on the Peel dissolution file was Mississauga Councillor for War II, Alvin Tejo. Going to social media, Mr. Tejo often criticized the Ford government for this about-face and would make the argument for Mississauga continuing to leave Peel region. We want to hear more about where the Mississauga City Council would go from here and what's next for Peel Region. To do so, we reached out to invite him during his holiday break onto the podcast to discuss this sudden reversal by the Ford government and what a city like Mississauga will need to grow sustainably to meet not just the housing crisis, but also future needs. Alvin joins us today. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Okay, thank you uh, to uh, Councillor uh, Alvin Tejo from Mississauga for coming on to the podcast. First podcast of 2024, so you're our first guest uh, for the new year. Uh, we're recording this on the uh, on the Christmas holiday break, uh, as it were, but... Uh, we very much take, thank you for uh, taking the time of your uh, your holiday schedule, taking the time off to come back to work to talk about this issue that we thought was said and done, but apparently is not. Uh, 
Counselor Tejo, thank you for uh, coming on to the podcast. Oh, Joel, Roland, good to see both of you. It's, uh, you know, the, the work never really stops. <laughs> so my family comes to expect to me, you know, having to take some meetings, being on the phone, things like that. And, um, but, you know, this is an important topic and I'm, I'm glad you reached out to talk about it because I think uh, we need to provide some clarity to residents and, and kind of understand where we are now. So last time we were on, we talked with this, we didn't had on then mayor Bonnie Crombie uh, to talk about this whole, whole process. And then the uh, province said, much after that episode aired, hey, we're 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 going to dissolve, go into the process of dissolving Peel Region. Now, now, uh, Minister of Housing or Minister of Municipal Affairs Paul Calandra has said that the cost of dissolution for Peel Region would result in a higher tax burden to the residents of Peel Region. What's your opinion on that? Let's just start off with that argument right off the bat. Well, I mean, this isn't this is a discussion and or argument that's been happening for decades. And, you know, we just passed January 1st, which is the 50th anniversary of both the city of Mississauga as well as the region appeal. Right. So this whole thing started 50 years ago. And if you go back into the archives, you'll see that there was a debate around this um, 50 years ago. Uh, and it took a long time for you know, the different townships and municipalities to land where we landed, but also there was still a lot of opposition back then, right? There was a lot of opposition from then mayor of Streetsville, Hazel McCallion, to even join Mississauga to be part of this whole regional structure. Um, And so she was fighting it for decades. And there was always this discussion around, you know, what are the real numbers? Where are we finding these numbers from these various reports? And there were reports commissioned by the region. There were reports commissioned by the cities. One of the things we were looking for was clarity, right? The the appropriateness or the the good thing that came out of the Hazel McCallion Act is that this transition board would be coming to the table, doing these audits of each municipality, including the region, and coming up with the real numbers. Now, we obviously think that the numbers that came out from the region that were commissioned by all four municipalities, the three local municipalities and the region, are the appropriate numbers. But there was one that was disputed years ago that came out that talked about um, basically how to save the region and why this region should be saved. And that Deloitte report was kind of what the current city of Brampton was kind of building on with KPMG and Deloitte again. And so when that kind of leaked out the same week that, you know, Mayor McCa- Mayor Crombie was getting elected as leader of the Liberal Party, that I think spooked a number of people in the provincial government to say, hey, look, this could be tens of millions of dollars more money to Brampton or to the region uh, residents. So, you know, that sort of leak and spook of that uh, report uh, certainly made them pause and review, you know, whether or not they should do this altogether. But that's the work that the transition board Mm -hmm. was supposed to be doing anyway. They were in the middle of that. This was supposed to be a two, two and a half year process for the transition board uh, to get those numbers and to figure out what is the truth and to figure out where the numbers are actually going to lie. Now, at the end of the day, the province decided that they had enough information, either through this secondary report (laughs) from the city of Brampton, um, to, to, to move on that. And they didn't want to come off as, you know, I guess being pro higher taxes. And I think that was, 
you know, maybe a bit of a scare tactic on behalf of Brampton. We know that throughout history over the last 50 years, Mississauga has carried the majority of the freight of all regional services being 70%, 60%, whatever it is. Um, you know, even though, yeah, you're going to get 30% from Brampton, the majority of that is going to be coming from Mississauga and has been coming from Mississauga. So in order for Brampton to stand on its own, maybe over time they would end up paying more uh, or more of their fair share. But, you know, we'll never actually know that we uh, now that we won't have these audits. You had mentioned that the transition team was supposed to take like the two-year process to dive in the information and, and figure the the details out of the process as it were. And I want to know, what do you make of the sudden, like this was a sudden reversal by the Ford government. Uh, I mean, we'll be honest, they kind of make a habit of kind of backtracking on a lot of their promises uh, of late. But this one, I think might be a record that this promise was made in, I'm going to say June-ish. Uh, and then reversed in November. What, what yeah. do you, what do you take on that? Like that quick and speedy, just absolute reversal, 180 reversal. Well, you know, what I've heard that this government does like to do is they, they have these trial balloons, right? And sometimes these trial balloons end up being legislation. There's a lot to argue or a lot to say that before the transition board, was tasked with the work that they were going to do and to announce that you were actually dissolving the region, you know, one of those things should have happened first, right? They they said, we're going to get to point B where we dissolve the region appeal, but then now we're going to do the work to figure out where should things go, right? And how much it's going to cost. You should argue, you could argue that we should have done that first, right? To say, we're going to do another regional review. We're going to go through the process. We're going to have a transition board and they're going to figure it out and not sort of put the cart before the horse and say, this is exactly what's going to happen. Because what you ended up happening in the meantime was chaos, right? We had, we lost lots and lots of staff at the region, right? A lot of people left and went to other municipalities. A lot of people decided to retire early. Um, and so you had a void in the region appeal who still had to deliver services right up until the day uh, that they were supposed to be dissolved. But it, you couldn't do that in an effective way um, when you've already told people that the the organization will no longer exist at that point. So, you know, I think that the, the, the knee-jerk reaction that you're sort of talking about is, you know, the premier having this view of, oh, I made a promise to uh, to the late mayor, I'm going to do this, I'm going to announce it in her name, uh, we'll call it the Hazel McCallion Act, and we'll get what she's always wanted to get done, and we'll put that on the books. But you did that before really figuring it out of what the answer was going to be at the end of the day, right? So I think that was a bit of a, a flawed process. But then undoing it in the same way is also, also sort of very poor for the process that you did establish because you did establish a project a, a process and you did want this you know highly qualified transition committee transition board that you handpicked from people who had lots of experience in provincial and municipal government who you said you're going to do this project for the next two years and then now suddenly okay now we're going to sort of change your mandate so we know that there's a bit of politics going on here it's not obviously a coincidence that the mayor of mississauga is now going to be one of the opposition leaders uh, against this government i hope that's not the main reason they decided to flip-flop on this but you know at the end of the day joel i i am encouraged by where we landed because the things that Former Mayor McCallion always used to talk about in terms of the inefficiencies of the region or where we could find more efficiencies, where there's duplication. 
that is where I think we did get a, a positive step forward, right? A lot of roads, transportation pieces have been downloaded onto the municipalities now with the announcement that we're no longer separating the region or we're no longer dissolving the region. Uh, planning. Planning is one that they've been talking about for the last year since Bill 23 got introduced. You know, we just went through a nine-month process with smart centers in Mississauga where we consulted with the public, had all sorts of consultants uh, work on how to evolve our smart center um uh, properties in Mississauga to become, you know, more residential mixed use friendly. And then the region was going to repeat the exact same process with the exact same timelines. Moving that forward and downloading all of the planning definitely helps municipalities build housing faster. So that's good. We're going to be downloading waste and recycling sort of management. Water and wastewater will separate from the region. So, and become its own sort of municipal utility. These are all very, very positive changes for Mississauga and Brampton and Caledon taxpayers. I think this is going to be good. We're going to find more efficiencies here. Uh, and at the end of the day, we're going to get a better municipal service than we do currently today. The question, the question I guess, remains in that case, if, if all those things are being downloaded and you're getting rid of a lot of the duplication, and you know, that's very interesting to hear about that, that, you know, that kind of process that we're all familiar with in cities that have two levels of municipal government of, you know, the city makes all its decisions, then the region has to have its say before it then goes to the province and it all takes years and years and years. That sounds very positive, uh, I have to say, but in that case, what's the purpose of having the region anyway? I mean, let's go the full hog, get rid of the damn thing. Uh, you know, what, what's the, if you're basically getting rid of some of the key functions of regional government, why, what's the, you know, I, I, I don't see the kind of argument for keeping it. I mean, you won't get any argument from me, Roland. I mean, Mrs. Long <laughs> has been talking about that for a long time, right? And, it, you know, these big pieces are, are large pieces, especially to the budget, right? Water, wastewater is enormous. When we talk about not having enough regional infrastructure to accommodate growth, we're mainly talking about water and wastewater. And what we what I mean by that is the pipes, the sewer pipes, the mains. Um, and that all comes from my neighborhood in South Mississauga, right? It, it, South Mississauga has all the pipes that go take the water up to Brampton, Caledon, even uh, out to York and Etobicoke in, in Woodbridge, Um because we have so much of it and because we have such great infrastructure for it. But that needs to continue expanding and we need billions of dollars of investment to get there. We're looking at $10, $20 billion over the next several decades uh, to upgrade those systems to accommodate the growth. So because that is sort of separating out from the region appeal, you're not wrong. How do we justify the continuation of the region? Now, they are going to continue to deliver essential services like the health services, um, public health is going to be running through that. So you're going to get paramedics through there. Appeal police is going to be running through the region appeal. Still, you're still going to have all the housing issues. So all the different levels of emergency, supportive, shelter, uh, affordable housing projects will still be continue to run through the region appeal through the Peel Housing Corporation. Um, so there is still a lot of important work that's being done. But the real issues that this government is concerned about in terms of housing um, and infrastructure that's being downloaded. So you're right. How do we get, how does, how do we help the province and the federal government reach their targets? This is how, this is, this is what we've been asking for, for a long time. So I'm trying to make the best of a situation here that uh, we're obviously not getting everything that we want, but you know, I think we can make the best out of it and we can help deliver uh, on these mandates to build more housing. Now, at the end of the day, this does give us an opportunity to demonstrate that regional local municipalities 
have all the ability in the world to deliver high quality services that the region used to deliver. And then maybe, you know, the future Premier Ford or future Premier Crombie will take another look at it down the road. You used the phrase a few minutes ago that this how we've got to where we are, even if there are positives, as you say, is uh, a bit of a flawed process, you say. And I was just wondering if we could maybe up, upgrade that from a bit of a flawed process to, to ranking competence. <laughs> that we went from literally speaking to, to Mayor Crombie days before she announced uh, her leadership bid to you, speaking to you, seems like days after she won that leadership bid, the entire history of this this process is crammed into those few months. And, you know, the the, the obvious correlation between those two dates, um, you know, was this kind of a bait and switch that was has been inflicted on the people of Mississauga and Peel uh, and, uh, and Brampton? Uh, because of some, you know, Basically, spiteful back of the envelope, back of the envelope dealing by by uh, by Doug Ford. <laughs> I mean, Roland, you know, people have talked about that a lot, and uh, certainly it's uh, you know what you'll hear in the halls of uh, various city halls. And I don't disagree that it's um, likely a contributing factor. It might be the main factor. I don't know. I I, I don't know what uh premier ford is thinking um but it is certainly but interesting if it, to if it might be if it might be yeah. uh the main factor then it's definitely a factor you think i think Let's it is i think we'd, okay. we'd, we'd be naive to say that it wasn't a factor i mean certainly the whole act is bookended by the mayor of mississauga's announcing she's going to run for leader and winning that she's uh now become the leader right so that's 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 not a coincidence um now I need to continue, and so does the city of Mississauga and Brampton and, and the region of Peel need to continue working with this uh, provincial government as we are creatures of the provincial government. So, you know, I, I think it's important that we're trying to take the best out of it that we can. Um, but certainly people have talked about how this is related to to that and you can't separate those two things. Mm -hmm. um, and we'd be naive to think that they were separated. So uh, I, I hope that this doesn't continue to be a pattern of making decisions based purely on, you know, who their political opponents of the day are, because I don't think that's a, an appropriate way to govern. Um, you know, it is true that it's never too late to do the right thing and that you do want people to take things back if they're going in the wrong direction. I don't think we were going in the wrong direction here, but if you're talking about all the different times and ways that they've turned things back, it goes to a pattern of this government moving too quickly to make a decision based on a political calculus without figuring out exactly what they're doing um, and not thinking about the consequences down the road. Because this actually has affected a lot of people in terms mm -hmm. of their livelihoods, people who work for these places, people who live in these places. And it has caused, I think, more undue stress than necessary. And they could have done it in a better way. You had mentioned uh, how the, this new revised process now that it gives you a bit more freedom to kind of dictate how Mississauga will grow, meet your housing targets and grow to meet the challenges of the day. And I'm wondering, maybe you can't speak for your fellow councillors and I don't necessarily want to make you, put you on the spot, but how does Mississauga City Council then negotiate with the province based on this history? You know, the, the, the fact that this was a major project or major agreement that the Mississauga was enthusiastic about working Boards working through for the next two years. And now that's been thrown out the window seemingly arbitrarily. 
And I'm wondering, how does the city council now go back to the province and say, well, we're going to need, like you said, massive funding for infrastructure, sewage, hydro, uh, these, these things that are needed to build the housing that we need. Are, 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 is this Mississauga City Council confident that they can negotiate in good faith now, given this recent history with the provincial government? Yeah, I, I mean, we're the third largest city in Ontario. Uh, we're also the second largest economy. Um, the Ford government cannot ignore the needs of the city of Mississauga. The Ford government also can't um, not get a new deal for the city of Mississauga or fund it appropriately if it wants to hit its, hit its housing targets. We're a significant portion of that, right? We're trying to build 120,000 new homes in Mississauga alone to help the province hit its hit its main targets uh, over the next 10 years. Um, so as much as you know, somebody might want to be vindictive or not include Mississauga, it's not possible. We, we can only succeed together if we work together. So what we do need is we need uh, you know, council moving forward. We need a new mayor moving forward um, to find those opportunities to collaborate and say, we can be your partner. We are going to be your partners to deliver housing. Thank you for giving us the pieces that the region appeal sort of maybe slowed down for us to try and build more housing. Let us get out of the way for people who need to build more housing. But also know that when you repeal things in Bill 23 and add things without thinking about, you know, how these development charges are going to affect cities, you know, know that you either have to make up for that or have to take that back so that we can have the money to, to do that. Toronto just got a huge new deal. Uh, with downloading or uploading the Gardner um, and the DVP and with whatever happened with Ontario Place um, and additional transit funding. That is incredibly important for the largest city in Ontario. That is also incredibly important for the third largest city in Ontario, where we need to be able to move forward and plan the next 50 years of the future of Mississauga right now. So I would tell the Ford government, this is an opportunity. Don't let your personal feelings of the current mayor, you know, influence where we need to go because if you spite us um because of that you will not help your own cause to hit your own targets right and why not prove to the residents of mississauga that you're willing to do what's best for the city by continuing to invest in the city by giving us a new deal by funding transit by helping us with our, our housing targets and providing that infrastructure gap that he said would make us whole right they would make us whole with whatever we might have lost and did not have the ability to raise. Municipalities are completely hamstrung in terms of its revenue tools, right? And and yeah, let's talk, let's call a spade a spade. It's taxes. We don't have a lot of tax, you know, power or or or, or generation ability. 60% of all public infrastructure is municipal infrastructure. 10% of all tax dollars go to municipalities. So we're doing a lot with a very little amount. So the province either needs to step up and provide it, or they need to give us the tools or stop taking away the tools that they've given us in order to get there. I, guess, I mean, just building on that point a bit. and it, it, we're going Sorry, if my internet connection is a little... Oh, <laughs> well, you're problem. still with us. Um, but just, just to sort of build on that point, um, okay. uh, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a, this is a theme we've come back to again and again and again uh, over the months we've been doing this podcast, that the municipalities are in Ontario and in Canada generally are underpowered. Um, and ultimately that does come down to tax. And of course, you know, the minute anybody suggests changing anything to do with tax, everybody freaks out. 
uh, you know, you you don't have the ability. I mean, like businesses don't pay tax in municipalities, unless I'm correct me if I'm wrong there. But as I remember, businesses basically don't pay tax directly to um, uh, uh, councils. It's like, why not? You, you work in a municipality, you're using the the services. Why why would you not pay your way just like the residents do? Um, that's a pretty obvious one, but. Um, and then you're always at the whim of, of, I mean, literally with this government, you know, the latest, whatever mood takes them, that, that they just almost uh, produce legislation at the drop of a hat that can completely change your kind of financial basis or your financial planning. I mean, as they did with uh, uh, removing the um, developer fees, with the loss of many developer fees. I mean, does there need to be a fundamental sort of new deal for, for municipalities in Ontario. And do you, would you like to say, see, say, uh, Mayor Crombie now as leader of, of one of the three major parties or, or, uh, or Marit Stiles, or perhaps who knows both of them. So come on forward saying, you know, let's not just fiddle around the edges of municipal government anymore. When we form a, a new government, we're going to re you know, have a, a, a total new deal for, for cities and rebuild the relationship between the province and municipalities to actually uh, fix the, the major systemic flaws that, that seem to exist, which everybody seems to admit exists in the way that the system works right now. Roland, that's an amazing question. I love that you brought that up. Thank <laughs> you. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. We need a new deal for cities in, in, in Ontario, but as well as across Canada. One of the things Hazel McCallion used to say all the time is that the federal government has all the money, the provincial government has all the power, and the municipalities have all the problems. Um, and, and that's very apt because it's true. Um, people come to us with all the challenges and are looking for solutions from the municipal government. And we have next to no power and next to no money to implement a number of the solutions that people are looking for. So what we need to do is we need to do the best that we can with the relationships that we have and always beg, borrow and plead and make our case to or different orders of government to try and get them to help the cause, right? We can't build a world-class transit system on the backs of ratepayers who are own properties in the city. That's just not fair, right? We're also looking for how do we support future growth, right? So we always get, you know, federal funding in order to, to do large infrastructure projects. And we get provincial funding to do large infrastructure projects. And then they expect us to operate a lot of those pieces as well without any additional funding. Ontario is the only province that does not have transit operations funded by uh, the provincial government, right? They expect all of it to come off of the the tax base and the user base, which is, you know, a very, very difficult thing to do when you don't have the same economies of scale for a large urban environment, right? We don't have the transit system that Toronto has yet. In order to get there, we're going to have to have huge amounts of investment and there's going to be huge amounts of investment in the operations day to day to make sure that we can maintain a certain level of service to get more people to to, to ride, that's a huge challenge, right? It, it's, it, it does come down to money, but it also comes down to powers, right? Whenever the province potentially thinks about giving, say, the city of Toronto more powers to do something to raise their own revenues, 
you get some municipalities who aren't willing to 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 use those tools, but then you also don't have a very unequal amount of those powers spread across uh, Ontario. So Toronto has a special act where they can do certain things. Um, no one else does. Ottawa, Mississauga, Hamilton, we don't have the same powers that Toronto has. You have these strong mayor powers, but they're only eligible for certain size municipalities. So I think they need to go back to the drawing table and say, if we were designing municipalities from the ground up, if we were saying we're going to have 444 of these smaller levels, orders of government to deliver these services that we've downloaded over the last several decades onto them, how should we design that? Right. I would love that. I would love to participate in a, you know, in a summit or, or whatever it is for us to renegotiate exactly how municipalities exist within confederation and in a provincial uh, sphere where they have all the power how do we how do we get that conversation to happen because it mm. seems that you know and i'm guessing and i'm predicting the future here but if i were to predict the future mayor crombie has just gone from a situation where she was very interested in that subject to a situation where she's now going to be much less interested in that subject than she was previously and that just i'm not having to go at mayor crombie i'm just saying that tends to be how it seems to go with with politicians who move, move between municipal and, and provincial level, you know, suddenly you've got new priorities and new interests. How do we get this issue onto the front burner um, in the kind of political debate, uh, certainly at a provincial level? Um, you know, if you think some of the really big issues now that we are talking about are kind of ultimately kind of municipal issues. If you're talking about housing, it's kind of a municipal issue, although we're constantly putting pressure on the federal government and the provincial government to, to fix it. The fix is happening at in the municipalities. How do we get people to kind of realize just how important this whole municipal picture is, is to, 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 to the provincial story at the end of the day? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's another great question because once you get there, once you're in the, I, you know, I used to work in the provincial government. Once you're there and you realize all the tools and the power that you have, you know, in order to get a new deal at the end of the day, that means giving up some of that. Right. But that also means giving up some of the, uh, I guess, challenges that comes with that. Right. How many times do you want to say no to a municipality who's trying to do something um, and say, oh, we just don't have the money for that. Or, you know, you do it yourself. We'll give us the tools to do it ourselves. We can do it ourselves. And then, you know, we have elections to judge whether or not those were the right things to do. Right. When, you know, even, you know, I was in a previous life, I was a, a liberal candidate and I worked for a liberal government and, you know, we gave those powers to Toronto. And then when they tried to implement those powers to tax the gardener and, and the DVP in order to to fund it, we rolled it back. I don't agree with that. If, if we were going to give them those the, that ability, we need to stick to it, right? I think, you know, that's some of the problems where people will come back to who's going to take the blame for what needs to get done, right? <laughs> so who's going to take the blame for raising taxes when we need to raise taxes? Who's going to take the blame um, for for funding or not funding certain projects that, uh, that need to move forward? Um, I think there are some groups that are moving along that are making progress now that 
weren't before, right? So the Ontario Big City Mayor's Caucus um, is is certainly swinging its weight more now than it ever has before. It's it's getting its footing, uh, and it's doing a really good job advocating for uh, large cities in Ontario. And I think that's good. And the precursor to that was really a group of mayors that Hazel McCallion put together to try and lobby the provincial government. But it didn't have a sort of standing mandate to keep going. Whereas now Ontario Big City Mayors does have that standing mandate to keep going. And, you know, Bonnie Crombie was the chair of that. Cam Guthrie was the chair of that. Marianne Mead Ward is the chair of that now. Um, and so they're using that opportunity to to work with different orders of government, regardless of stripe, which is the good thing about municipalities is that you don't represent a political party. So you do have to work with everyone and you can work with everyone. You have that window to work with everyone, regardless of political party, uh, which I think is a good thing. So we need to keep building that and we need to keep making the case to residents, to voters, um, that municipalities need more independence, need more tools uh, in order to get things done. And that we need to be stronger and more firm with those asks so that everybody understands that the root origin of these things isn't necessarily mm. municipalities. We're trying to solve the problem, um, but we don't have anything to do with it, right? We can't fix it without the right tools or without other orders of government coming in to try and, you know, save the day. Right. Um, like taking that that note, maybe going a bit further, we've noticed that this is a pattern forever in in Ontario politics, and that's the divide and conquer uh, kind of mantra from not, and it's not just this current progressive conservative government. This has been every uh, provincial government, liberal and conservative, and NDP uh, in Ontario's history it has just been to kind of divide and conquer amongst the the municipalities, right? Giving more extra powers to Toronto and telling everyone else, make do with what you got. Uh, and then we download more responsibilities onto you and figure out how you're going to pay and, and implement it. And we've talked with a lot of mayors around the 905 and the sense that we that we get is a lot of mayors are frustrated with that system. And I, hearing you talk, I wonder if, is it maybe time for a bit of a rebellion in municipalities and by that you know using uh things like uh amo or the ontario big cities uh uh coalition to to start lobbying or to demand more demand that that new deal to sit down with the province and the feds to say listen like we're not we're not going to be your whipping horse your whipping boy anymore to to put the blame on whenever when the things don't go right you know if you want to make us do it Give us the powers, give us the funding ability the to pay for it, and we'll do it. But don't don't download it and say, hey, look, these these cities are screwing up. Oh, it's you know, they're the gatekeepers to holding back progress. Do, do you think maybe it's just time for the for the cities of the of Ontario and the 905 to say, we're not gonna take it anymore? No, absolutely. I, I mean, we have so much more political weight than we realize. Right. No government provincially or federally in Ontario can win without the 905. We need to leverage that. Absolutely. From 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 Burlington to Oshawa. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially in 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 Peel with uh, Mississauga and Brampton. There are so many there are more seats in the 905 than there are in the 416. Right. We're not a monolith, though. Right. We're not led by one. A particular politician or one particular body. And that's okay. We can come together as a region and sort of say, this is what we need. This is the new deal we need for the GTA. And not only are we the largest um, 
you know, area in Canada in terms of population, like we need to start using that political capital uh, to advocate for the things that we need. Absolutely. We need to do that at AMO. We need to do that at FCM, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. Um, and we need to talk about the different things that have happened over the last several decades that have just compounded this problem over and over again. And again, it's all governments of all stripes at all levels, right? The federal government moved away from dealing with housing, right? They used to operate housing. The provincial government used to deliver, you know, a lot of the social services and they downloaded it to the municipal government. None of these things can happen without providing significant additional resources to deliver those programs, right? Housing is going to be, is going to continue to be a problem and a challenge for municipalities and all orders of government for the next several decades. But when you have different governments not working together or not even considering what the effect is downstream, then you have significant challenges that we have right now. When you have a provincial, a federal government, let's start there, where yes, absolutely, we need more immigrants. We need to open the borders and have more skilled workers come into this country. Our economy depends on it, right? We do not have enough skilled workers here. We want them to go through our education system and be international students. But when you're doing that, when you're letting in 500,000, a million uh, non-permanent residents into the country every year, and at the same time, you have not had the discussion with either municipalities or colleges and universities or even provinces in terms of how you're going to house those people, and you just expect them to solve the problem on their own, that's not how you govern a country appropriately, right? And then a provincial government that comes in and just sort of says, oh, we have all the solutions. It, the problem is the municipality, you're making this process go slower and you're costing too much money and then just arbitrarily you know, changing these things. Things keep happening to cities without these other orders of government understanding what the effects are on them, right? So when you take the ability away for us to collect revenue in order to build the infrastructure necessary, how are we supposed to do it? We can't get a building approved that does not have enough water to service it. I don't, there's no, there's no equation that where that makes sense, right? And so what you're asking then municipalities to do is say, okay, well, the current tax base of people either has to get, you know, cuts in services in order to pay for that building that you're now saying needs to be serviced, or we need to raise their taxes. And that is completely inequitable across the across the region, right? Everybody has a different rate. Toronto significantly pays fewer taxes um, per household than anyone in the 905. The 905 cities don't have that amount of density. But that's also an argument that people don't understand either, right? We don't talk enough about how density leads to, you know, more tax revenue and actually helps share the burden uh, across a, a larger base, which would be a good thing for people to talk about. But also, I don't think the feds have talked about enough of why we even need more people in, in, the, in the country to begin with. So there's a lot that <laughs> continues to not get done and continues to not include municipalities. So I don't care where it is, FCM, AMO, big city mayors, just the GTA mayors and just the GTA councils, we need to start flexing uh, a lot more and saying, this is what we need in order to deliver these things for the residents that actually live here. And we'll go, we'll continue to live here and move into this neighborhood because this is going to be one of the most attractive places to be in the whole country. I mean, getting back to, to, to where we started with, with, with the reversal uh, of, the reversal of what was certainly sold to the public as a done deal of, of the dissolution of Peel Region uh, into separate um, single-tier municipalities. Um, 
do you think the, the PCs will pay a political price for this? I mean, how how does the the person on the street, Mississauga, feel about what's happened? Uh, well, I'm glad you're bringing this back because I kind of went <laughs> off on a, on a rant. No, not at all. But, uh... We both we both love going on those rants. Don't it's we? a podcast. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, I think there will be because um, I don't think you can make that many reversals of decisions without facing consequences or at least a loss of confidence of your ability to make um, you know informed decisions. Right? I think people trust the government to try and do the right thing. Um, but if they're just sort of knee jerk reacting to the shiny bauble of the day, um, then you're not really governing. You're just kind of reacting. Right. Um, and I think people will judge that at some point, well, in the next election and say, you know, that's not really how I want my government to, to operate and to think, uh, moving forward. Now there's still two, two and a half years until the next election. So there's time for them to, correct the course and and try and make it better. But it seems like the political calculus here is that Brampton residents felt like they were going to end up paying a lot more taxes. And every time somebody puts that up there, you're like, well, that's because they probably need to if Mississauga has been subsidizing it for so long. Um, but that seems to be the calculus that the provincial Tories have made that you know, maybe we're going to lose Mississauga anyway, because we now have a leader of the opposition that's um, from there and we're going to lose those seats. So let's try to save the ones in Brampton. Like I said, I hope that's not the case, but I'd be naive to say that that doesn't factor in to to what they're doing. Um, is uh, is is it going to result in votes outside of the six seats in Mississauga? Maybe. I think if we can talk to folks in in Halton region and in Durham region and York and sort of say, listen, this is not a healthy way to to govern uh, a province. And, you know, just because it happened to us doesn't mean it can't happen to you. And, you know, how is this going to be done moving forward? We need to see a tangible change in the way that they decide how they're going to do things moving forward and to follow through with those processes in order to maintain the confidence of the existing government. And if they don't do that, well, then rightfully they should be um, replaced. If they do do that over the next two and a half years, well, then they'll have a chance to save some of those pieces. But for now, they're, 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 I don't think they're doing what people want them to. And, and I guess, uh, sorry, Joe, you go ahead. Well, I was, I was, no, I'll let you answer because I, I thought we were, I just only had one last question to ask, so you go ahead. Well, I I, I don't think we, we can, I, I suspect this might have been the question you would ask, but uh, I don't think we can let you escape with, well, obviously, Mayor's yeah, in need of Yeah, that's what it was. Mayor needs the new mayor. Uh, sorry, Mississauga is going to be in need of a mayor. Um, you've been at the forefront on on this issue, or it seems that you have been anyway. Um, uh, albeit, I'm sure all the other councillors are equally interested. Um is uh, a run for mayor in your future? Um, I will say that I'm considering it. Uh, there are uh, a number of folks who've been talking about what we do need, and I agree with them, um, that we do need a new mayor who uh, can advocate for the city, can fight for the city, but also has the vision for the city that understands where we need to go and how do we work with the other orders of government in order to get there, right? And I think that's really important. We need to... Imagine the future of our city. How do we build the future of our city? Because we can't build out anymore. Mississauga is completely built out. There's no green fields left, right? So we have to start moving up in order to reach the targets that 
both other orders of government have set for us to get to. That's why I introduced the fourplex motion. That's why I've been supportive of you know our homeless strategy. That's why I've introduced a number of policies over the last you know 14, 15 months in order to help make our community more livable, um, more sustainable, more walkable, uh, more complete. Because we can't just have a city like Mississauga be a place where you hang your hat before you go to bed at night. It has to be a place that people want to be and want to live and want to set their set up their businesses and want to play, right? And there's a lot that we can do. There's a lot of potential in a city like Mississauga, where we're the second largest economy. We've got lots of Fortune 500 companies where we have an opportunity to imagine a future city that is not just a sleepy suburb. We're moving past that. But that transition is going to be difficult. It's going to be complicated, right? So we need to make sure that we can get behind somebody, a, a new mayor, um, that has a vision for that. If that happens to be me, well, we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll certainly let both of you know uh, if and when to make a decision. But right now, I think that's what we need. We need somebody who does have a vision, who can see the future of our city um, as we celebrate our 50th anniversary, what it's going to look like in 50 years, and how can we get there. All right. Sounds good. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Councillor, currently Councillor uh, Alvin Tejo, for uh, coming on to the podcast to discuss this issue. And uh, Happy New Year to you, your family, and all the best for 2024. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Roland. Good seeing both of you again. Thanks. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time.
looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.